as was mentioned before, happy Mother's Day. I feel bad for my wife. She's at home with a dead battery, figuring it out, getting here. No, no, no need to anybody jump up and go help because uh, they got some help there. But uh, those things happen, don't they? They just, on the worst possible day. And uh, I was telling my kids last night, I, I said, you know, Mother's Day, I, I got 33 pages of notes here today. And uh, Amelia rolled her eyes, and uh, she's like, really? And then I got a threatening call from Roy that we needed to be out here on time today. And so instead of going through three uh, parables today, I decided this morning we're just going to tackle the first of three and do this as a two-parter. Uh, and so we're going to look at back in Mark chapter 4 and the full text. And it's, it, it, what Jesus is doing is giving us different snapshots of the kingdom. And he's showing us different things about the kingdom. He's revealing different things about the kingdom and this kingdom that's emerging, this kingdom that's coming. And we're just going to look at the first parable, like I said, verses 21 through 25, and then next week we will finish the section out. But these are real quick hitters that Jesus is giving, but so much truth in these little, little parables that Jesus is giving us. So verse 21, follow along. I encourage you to go to the app if you have the app too. Uh, I know some people don't like to use your phone in church. For some people, that's probably a good thing not to do that because you're probably ADD and you're all over the place checking notifications and that kind of stuff. But the app is a nice resource, but also we have the bulletin on the back, you can follow along and fill in notes as well. The app, I did add a few extra notes that you may want to check out later um, if, you, if you'd like. There's a way to download the app. It shows you on your bulletin if you have any questions about that. And somebody asked me the other day if the notes that you put into the app, is that a public thing? Can everybody see those? No, those are just private. Those are just for you. No one else sees the notes that you take underneath the, each little bullet point there. So verse 21, and he, Jesus said to them, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let, them, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has... More will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Let's pray. We'll look at this passage. Father God, we thank you so much for your word that gives us light, it gives us truth. We thank you that it points us to Jesus, and as Jeremy mentioned, the only way, the truth, the life. No one comes to you except through Jesus Christ. And God, it's you that we celebrate today. It's your faithfulness we celebrate today, God, and we we love you and we thank you for the cross, and we pray today that all that we do will point to him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Probably comes to no surprise to you at all in the day and age we live that the first experimental study uh, that has just been conducted where they followed people around and, and observed this and found out the damage that social media can do to people and how it affects their well-being. It's interesting uh, someone at a graduation speech uh, a couple days ago mentioned this same study because it's fairly recent, just in the last two months. But um, this link was found between the time spent on social media and the increased depression and loneliness and the feelings that we get from that. And so much of that, the article was saying, was contributed to the fact that we are guilty of comparison. We look at other people's life and we see all their pictures and how happy everybody looks and all the things that they're doing, the exciting stuff, and then we compare that to our lives and it doesn't measure up and we think, man, you know, I'm missing out. And that is the kind of thing that even 
the world is recognizing the dangers of the social media and the fact that we're always on there. And I think it's a particularly good word today for Mother's Day because not that men don't struggle with that too, but it seems that uh, this is a particularly strong issue among women. And I talk to a lot of people a lot uh, who deal with this and talk about this, uh, this thing that how it makes them feel down and, and, and lonely and so on. And so, um, you know, there's times that life is confusing, it's plain and simple. Life is not Instagrammable. Uh, most of the things that we uh, encounter throughout the week, throughout the day, throughout the years, there's so much tragedy, there's so much heartbreak, there's so much um, just difficulty as a result of just the sin-broken world that we live in. And one thing that we need to be clear as Christians as we give the gospel and share Christ with other people is that we're not exempt from this. All right, Christians struggle with it as well. And so if you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, if I just had more faith then it wouldn't be an issue for me. Well, good Christians struggle with loneliness. Good Christians struggle with depression. We fight against anxiety. We forget God's past faithfulness and the things that he's done, and we can turn our minds to things that just allow them to run out of control and think about all the possibilities and who's saying this and who thinks this and why is this happening to me. And so uh, sometimes we do question God's plan. Sometimes we encounter things that cause us to um, question God's goodness. I was reading in my personal quiet time this last week in the book of First Kings, and many of you who grew up in church, you know some of these stories. Maybe as adult, you forgot about this, but in First Kings 17 and 18, Elijah, this great prophet of God, man, he, he was on a roll. I mean, he, some amazing, amazing things were happening through his life. He had just predicted to the king that there was this drought that was going to come over Israel, and it was God's judgment. It was God's punishment for them. And then next, he, he, he goes to this widow's house, and she's going to provide for, for him. And lo and behold, her son, after this miracle where he allows her food just to continue on, then her son dies. And so Elijah, he, just, he, he raises the kid from the dead. And next, we find him in this big showdown with these false prophets of a false god that Israel had been worshiping, and he's up against 450 prophets. And they're out there trying to show the superiority of their god over the true god. And, and, and it's great as you're reading this, Elijah has so much faith in God and he has so much belief in God that he's actually mocking the prophets of Baal. He's, he's making fun of them because he's, he, he's confident. He, God's doing some amazing things through him. Great things are happening. He has no question. And so God calls, he's able to call down fire from heaven by praying to God. The fire comes down and it proves the superiority of God over their false gods. And those false prophets are, are slain. They're taken care of. And then on top of that, I thought this was pretty cool. And then he's able to, he's, get, he's got super speed. He's able to outrun the king's chariot uh, to the destination where they were both headed. So he, it's, all these great things are happening. And Israel is seeing the power of God, and you would think this great revival would break out in the land, and you would think that, that God's faithfulness and this the way that God has come through would just cause this big thing to happen, and, and, and Elijah would just be so dependent upon God that anything was possible in that land. But unfortunately, that's not what we see happen. In fact, the queen, Queen Jezebel, she is so upset over this and all this stuff that's going on that she actually puts a contract out on Elijah's life. And what does Elijah do? Does he stand up to her? No. He takes off and he flees. He runs. He gets out of there. And so I came across 1 Kings 19.4. I'm going to put this on the screen so you can see it. So he, he goes off alone. 
and he's out in the wilderness, and he's traveling all day, and he finally he sits down under a solitary bloom tree, and what's he do? He prays that he might die. Look, look at his prayer. He says, I have had enough, Lord, he said, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who are already dead. They're already in the grave. So he has this moment of depression. He has this pity party for himself because he, he just feels like, you know, what else can I do? I, like, I, like it gets, keep getting, you know, more and more conflict and more and more things coming at me. And he's, he gets to this place where he's temporarily experiencing this depression, this, this, this frustration, and he just tells God about it. And I think that's a, a really, really applicable point for us today in light of what I said about the social media, about comparison, how about we look at other people and we think their life is so much better and the reality is they're going through some of the same things and maybe worse that you're going through. And so I, I, I took this statement out of a book I'm reading that says, even Christ, it's called Even Christians Get Depressed. I thought this was really good. It says, when we are depressed, we tend to pick out the negative of every situation and think about it alone to the exclusion of everything else. We filter out anything positive and decide everything is negative. And let's be honest. We do that. We sing about God's faithfulness. But sometimes we look at our current circumstances, we look at the way that things are transpiring, and what we do is we don't see the big picture of God's story. We don't see that God has been doing great things throughout history and will continue to do great things until he brings us all to its end in Jesus' return. And we look at our little spot on the map at the current moment, and we kind of see life as it should revolve around us. And God, if, if you are really who you are, then you should come through for me in the way that I think that you should come through. And we think that, you know, because we see our circumstances here, and we can't see the big picture, all of a sudden we get discouraged. We question God. We doubt God's goodness and his faithfulness and his plan. And the interesting thing as we've been going through Mark, and you're going to see this a lot as we continue to go through the book of Mark, the disciples experienced many of these the same things. The disciples, and when I use the word disciples today, I'm mainly using the 12 and a few others that were following Christ seriously at this point, and not just there for the miracles and the show. And so the disciples, they were struggling. Some of the things that I, I as I went through the gospel and looked at and thought about different things that they had said and done, they continue to ask for explanations to the parables, right? They, they don't get it. They don't understand what Jesus is saying. They're constantly saying, God, explain this to us, Jesus. And Jesus is more than happy to do that. We also find them as Jesus is talking about the kingdom, they're, they're talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They're arguing, even remember one of their moms is put up to coming to Jesus and like lobbying for her sons to have the prominent spots because they had distorted what Jesus was saying and they were confused by what Jesus was saying and they thought that the kingdom was about their prominence and they're about their glory. And they wanted that prominent position in the kingdom. When the kingdom came, when Jesus set up his throne there in Jerusalem, they wanted to be in the prominent positions. And Jesus was going to run the Romans out. That was their idea of what the kingdom was all about. And they really, honestly, they, just, they don't have any idea where the story is going. They don't have any idea where the story is going. They had no idea that the one who they were following was the lamb who would offer his life for their sacrifice and the sacrifice of the world. They could have never imagined that the cross of death was God's ultimate provision for mankind. They didn't see that. They didn't know that. And I'm sure they were very, very confused by the fact that a few passages back we looked at the fact that Jesus' very own family members came and tried to physically take him back home 
because they thought he was crazy out of his mind. Can you imagine if you were one of the disciples and you're scratching your head and you're like, why is Jesus' family not get this? Here we are giving our lives and we're following this man because he's, he's doing these incredible things and he's teaching these incredible things that we sometimes don't even understand. He explains them to us. But, but his family, they're rejecting him. And then we know that you know, the antagonists throughout the Gospels are the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. But these people, we forget maybe that probably prior to Jesus, these were looked at as the guys who had like the direct line to God. The disciples probably revered these men because of their great pious ways and, and, and the, their discipline and fasting and just their, their whole um, way they went about their spirituality and the way they were lifted up and viewed in society that they probably at one point looked at these men as their spiritual guides. But we find Jesus... Um, arguing with them, uh, criticizing them, even saying they're possessed by, uh, you know, that they're following Beelzebub, and they call say that Jesus is being led by Satan, and he says, no, your father's Satan, the devil. And, 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 and so this conflict between the religious establishment and Jesus is going on, and they probably don't understand that either. They're probably thinking, what, why, why don't these people accept Jesus? These people study the Bible. They memorize the Bible. They know the Bible. Why aren't they accepting Jesus as Messiah? And so it's into this moment where Jesus speaks these three parables. Boom, 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 telling them more about his kingdom and where it's headed and what's going on. And so look back at the beginning there at verse 21. He says, and he said to them, because at this point he had pulled away his disciples from the crowd. If you look back at verse 11, when we finished up the, the, the parable of the soils, when he told the parable, and then he pulled his disciples away, to tell them uh, that the secrets of the kingdom were given to them, but to those who are on the outside, those who did not have hearts to ears to hear, hearts to be open to Jesus. He said, those people, they won't get it anymore. He said, those of you who are the good soil, and that's the disciples, a small handful of people, he said, you're the good soil, you're going to get it. But for the other people, when I tell parables, it's going to be just riddles to them. It's going to be confusion for them because they've just hardened their heart. They've decided that, I am not who I said I am, and no matter what I do, it can't prove it. So their hearts are hard, and I'm not going to minister to them or reach to them any longer. So from this point on, Jesus only explained his parables to those who truly had ears to hear. And so he goes into this parable about a lamp, and he says in verse 21, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So, obviously, the purpose of a lamp isn't to hide the light, but to shine it. And in this parable, Jesus is the lamp. Jesus is the light. And he's telling the disciples in their confusion, in this misunderstanding or not being sure what's going on here, he's telling them, look... What is happening here may be somewhat cloaked. It may be somewhat hidden at this moment now, but it will be uncovered later. Jesus is saying, don't think that God has brought the kingdom in the person of Jesus, has brought the kingdom to earth, the kingdom to people, and that his ultimate purpose was just to conceal it or hide it. He's saying, I'm the lamp, I'm the light, and it doesn't make any sense. God's not going to keep this hidden forever. So as you look around at the multitudes who are going to turn away and they're steadily probably leaving as it is and it's going to come to a head here pretty soon 
as these people, as the disciples are observing and seeing, these people are just in it for what they can get out of it. They're, they don't love Jesus. They don't love him. They just want something from him. And so as the disciples are viewing this and seeing this, and Jesus speaks into this, in, into this moment, and he says, look, this is not the way it's always going to be. And I thought about John 14, 12, where Jesus said to the disciples, and this is pretty amazing. Think about this for a second. Jesus says this. He tells his, his, his followers, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will they do. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. So how is that possible? He's saying that you're going to do these greater things to me once I leave and once I depart. So his death, his resurrection, his exaltation, all this must, be, must happen before the disciples embark on an amazing mission, which we happen to be on the backside of it, probably toward the end of it, where Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creation. Go and preach. Go and tell. And so do you see what's happening here is he's, once Jesus goes to the Father, the church's mission and the light of Jesus will shine in full force. So while Jesus was on earth, his mission, the cross, the resurrection to, to uh, confirm and prove that he was who he said he was. And then the work happens after he was exalted into heaven. And so Jesus, ex, uh, um, he didn't, his exaltation didn't just bring about the command to shine this light. He didn't say, okay, now that I'm going away, now you just shine it. You do it. He said something so much greater. He said that he was going to send the Holy Spirit. And what did he say to us in, in look, look in 22 before I skip ahead to that verse. In verse 22 he says, for nothing is hidden. So the stuff that's hidden now, for nothing is hidden except it's going to be made manifest. It's going to be revealed and nothing and, and nor anything in secret except it comes to the light. So he says, it's impossible for you to quench this light. Nothing that is in secret now will stay in secrecy. Everything that is hidden, everything that's concealed, everything is going to be revealed. So this was Jesus promising that this is the beginning of his revelation of the gospel. And he would continue his work until the truths of the gospel had been revealed. The ultimate fulfillment occurs when Jesus returns in all his glory at the second coming. All his glory in the second coming. So it's, it's hidden now. Jesus said, you don't fully get it. The world doesn't fully get it. But when I go away to the Father, these things are going to come to light. And they're going to continue. The kingdom will continue to emerge. It will come about. And then one day, I will return to my people. When is he going to return? Matthew 24, Jesus told us. When the gospel has been preached to all nations, what's it say? Then the end will come. Then the end will come. So when the gospel, when the word has gone out all across this world to all unreached people groups, the end will come. And if you've ever been into a mission conference or a mission weekend, you know that that's a, a critical verse that's talked about a lot. That's why people go. That's why they leave their family and the comforts of the Western world and civilization. That's why Buzz is back here today. That's why he goes to Africa. Because the end will come when those tribes and those people hear the gospel and the world knows who Jesus is. And so the end will come. And so he gives us this picture. He gives us this, this I think that's verse 24 is a, or 22 is a, ver, a picture of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. 
And so he says, look, I'm going away. But something greater is going to happen after I leave. The mission is just getting started. The revelation of who I am to the world is just starting to kick up. You're going to go, and you're going to change the world, and you're going to have the Holy Spirit who's going to allow you to give the mysteries of the gospel and to explain the mysteries of the gospel and even to the apostles to provide the mysteries of the gospel. You know, think about your Bible for a second. We're in the gospel. We're in, the, we're in Mark. But after Mark, what do you have? Luke and John, the other accounts of Jesus. And then you have Acts, who the church in the early age. And then you have Romans through Revelation. You see, these are the words of Jesus given to the apostles to continue the work, to take what was hidden and to reveal it to the world. And so we have our New Testament. We have the scriptures because the apostles, Second Peter 1.21 says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when you open your Bible and you turn to Philippians or Ephesians or Jude, men of God were moved along by the Holy Spirit to give us the words that we need to continue the mission that Jesus started with his disciples. And it's pretty amazing, if you followed along with us and if you know the Gospels at all, that these 11 guys and ragtag bunch of guys from different walks of life all over the place, that they could turn the world upside down in a few centuries. Remarkable. It's definitely a God thing, and we benefit greatly from it because we sit on this side of history, and we look back and we take it for granted. But they took Jesus' words seriously. When I leave, I'm leaving you somebody, and you're going to do greater things than I'm doing right now. And so many people want to try to turn that into, like, see, oh, you know, Jesus, you can, you can do all these amazing miracles. What have we said over and over again in Mark? Jesus' miracles were not the point. That was authenticating his message. The point was, you're going to spread the word about who Jesus is. And it's going to reach further than even Jesus in his own lifetime. And so we preach the word. We take the words of the apostles and the prophets. And we look at Mark, which is Mark is Peter's account of Jesus' life. And we preach this word because it's been entrusted to us, the church. And so we love this book. We build our lives on this book. Because these are the words that the Holy Spirit takes and uses in our lives to carry on his commission to preach the word, to carry the gospel, to carry the words of Jesus. You know, it's kind of sad. A few years ago, I was talking to a guy, and he, we were discussing something, and he wanted to kind of Put Paul over here and Jesus over here and, and, and say, you know, these, they're, not, they're not compatible. And, 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 and here I was, we were discussing something, and I was using the words from Paul's letters. And he's like, okay, so what are you going to do? You're going you're gonna to believe Paul over Jesus? You know, you're going to take Paul's, what he said over Jesus? And see, a lot of people want to try to set up this kind of this tension between the two. And there's absolutely no tension whatsoever. Jesus, in his own words, said, look... I, it's all going to be revealed. It's going to come out. It's going to be shined forth to the nations and the apostles, those who learned from Jesus and were taught by Jesus. When he said, come here, little flock, let me explain to you the secrets of the kingdom. That's what we benefit from. That's why we're reading this gospel, because Jesus taught that to Peter. 
Peter saw his life. Peter saw his teaching. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, your confusion will give way to clarity one day. Trust me. Your fear is going to turn into great power because the Holy Spirit will empower you to do greater things than you can even imagine. And the kingdom will progress through the Holy Spirit in ways greater than you're currently seeing, Jesus says, in my life right now. And Jesus' own words in John 7, 37 through 39, one of my favorite passages where Jesus stood up and yelled out before the multitudes uh, at the Feast of Tabernacles, and he said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. For out of his innermost being, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. And it says, by this he meant the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. You see, Jesus' own words. He said that it's coming. It's not here yet, but it's coming. When the Spirit comes, he's going to empower you. You're going to have the word of truth. The apostles are going to put down what the Spirit moves and inspires. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And these are the words that we carry out the mission. And the Holy Spirit takes God's word and he illuminates the word for us. As we read, the Holy Spirit makes something supernatural happen where all of a sudden we understand who God is. We understand uh, more about his, his character, his nature. And he begins to allow us to see him for who he is. See, that's the difference between just somebody who opens the Bible and says, I don't get it, this is boring, I, you know, what, what, how is this relevant to 21st century life versus somebody who has the Spirit, who makes the time for the Spirit to work, and they open the Word, and they pray and say, this is a supernatural encounter, I can't understand it unless you come alongside me, Holy Spirit, and reveal the truth to me. And sure, there's a growth process. The more you learn, as we'll see in a minute, the more you'll be given. But we have to be in the Word. If you're a believer, you should love this book. You should sacrifice time to be in this book. You should commit to the body of Christ to be together to study this book. I get together, one of my favorite times of the week is with some guys on Wednesday morning where we just we get together and we discuss the Word from the previous week. It's an awesome, awesome time. So you're in community with other people. It's not so you can get your private interpretation of the Word in your quiet time, and so you can feel empowered by that. No, I mean, there's nothing new that you're going to learn that hasn't already revealed to the truth. The truth has already been revealed to the believers and the community. And you come in community to study and flesh it out and, and to, to wrap your mind around it, but most importantly, to wrap your heart around it. And so... In verse 24, he kind of carries on this thought. Well, let's go back to 23, the end. Jesus' little saying that he said several times already, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So that's taking it into your heart, not just hear it in your mind, but it's letting it soak down. It's, it's owning it. It's investing in it. It's applying it. It's taking action to it. That's what being hearers of the word is. And then verse 24 through 25, he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And to the one who has not, not even what he has will be taken away. And this is an extremely important theological principle in that little proverb right there. Because the meaning of measuring is this idea of hearing. 
And if your hearing is good, if it's rich, if it's receptive to the word, you will receive the truth back and even more. And, and he says to the one who's been given, you'll get even more. More will be given to you. It's a lot like what Proverbs says in a, in a more simple way, a clear way. It says in Proverbs 9, 9, instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will learn more. So it's about responding to God's truth and then more truth will follow. Respond to God's truth and more truth will follow. So your faithfulness of being in the Word and studying the Word, being under the Word, the more that you do that, the more that Jesus will provide you to understand and apply it to your life. And so we have a radical contrast here in the, in the last part of this verse where he says that the one who rejects the Word, he says even what he has, as Luke, the parallel passage, it says he thinks he has, which may give clarity to that statement, even what he thinks he has has been taken away from him, will be taken away. And these are the people in the previous parable of the soils. These are the weedy soils, the rocky soils. These are those who hear the word and they get excited about it. And those who, you know, they know the word and they think, you know, I'm a Christian because I know it in my mind. And they think because of that that they know Jesus but there's no fruit in their life. There's no love for other believers. There's no investment in community. There's no seeking God in their life. And so he says, look, what you think you have, what you think you got, even that is going to be taken away from you because you don't got anything. And so to summarize this parable, Jesus is telling his disciples that they may be currently confused. They may not understand everything. But the kingdom is emerging. It's coming about. And those who listen and trust and obey Jesus will be given more. And this theme that's running through Mark again and again is this idea of don't just be a hearer, but be a doer. Faith is active. Faith is alive. It's not just about hearing. It's about taking it in and responding to the truth, grabbing hold of what you're given taking it in and allow God's word to take you and mature you and make you more like Jesus and to use you to fulfill that great commission of taking the light and lifting up the light and carrying the light to all those we come in contact with. Because a lamp, a light isn't to be hidden. That's not the purpose. Right now it may be a little bit confusing, disciples. It may be a little bit unsure what's going on here. But trust me, the day is coming when it's all going to make sense, the Holy Spirit's going to empower you. You're going to have the words of the Holy Spirit to write down these words. And this is going to pass on to future generations. And the word will continue to bear fruit and go out. And the Great Commission will be accomplished when all nations have heard the truth. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that gives those who know you not only a desire, but an eagerness to let you shine. And we all can relate to the fact that this flesh is, is a hard opponent sometimes, is a difficult opponent sometimes, and many times we let the cares of the world and the draw of wealth or of influence of people to pull us away from our mission. But God, we thank you for the faithfulness of your word that endures for generations. It's, this book has endured 
countless times where people have just tried to destroy it, to rid the world of your truth, yet we continue to flourish and grow because it's, it's true and it represents you and your spirit takes it and makes us realize and remember what our purpose in this life is. And God, today I pray that we will be drawn back to you, that Jesus will love you for who you are, not just for the easy life that most of us have or even in the hardships of life that, that we live in America where really we don't truly do without anything. And God, help us to remember your spiritual faithfulness to us. Through the difficult times, through the confusion, the hard times, the times when we've seen our family go astray or our own lives be shipwrecked by sins that we stumble into and fall into and commit. God, we thank you for the faithfulness you have to your people, to us, that he who began a good work in us will finish it, that you're finishing the work you started. And thank you. And help us to build our lives on Jesus and on that truth. In his name we pray. Amen.